0: It was back in 1994 that I entered the seminary. It was a time of, sort of transition in the church, Vatican II had happened and the chaos that ensued afterwards with the liturgical reform, priest and nuns leaving their vocations, so much confusion ethically and theologically. Fortunately, in 1978, uh, John Paul II was elected pope and began to sort of right the ship, his clear moral teaching, theology of the body, Um, very tight Splendor, trying to bring about what Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, called the reform of the reform. The reform of the liturgy that Vatican II called for, but really trying to implement the changes. And we saw the liturgy becoming more reverent, uh, getting back to the roots and what Sacrosanctum sacrosanctum Concilium actually called for. Um, And so by the time I got to the seminary, things were more or less on the right track. Not everything was exactly perfect, um, but it was a great few years learning about the faith, uh, growing an appreciation of our worship as Catholics and love for the tradition of the Magisterium of the Church. And I was ordained in 2000, and we were really looking forward to that springtime of the Church. And for the most part, the following decade was good. Of course, the scandal in 2002 that really showed how corrupt some hearts and lives have become of priests um, throughout the church. But overall, Benedict becoming Pope, uh, things were on the right track. Uh, There was a lot of clarity. There was a new generation of priests that were being ordained. But we come to uh, the decade that has just passed, and we see there's confusion came back into the church, sort of a lack of moral clarity, uh, confusion when it came to sort of leadership. Uh, and a lot of just sort of general disquietude, uh, culminating, I think, in 2018 with the the renewal of or the bringing forth of so much of the scandal uh, that had happened before, but really seeing the roots and the bishops and their refusal refusal or inability to deal with the problematic priest in the church. And so what's happened, though, is, at least I've seen the past several years, uh, an upsurge in what I guess I'll call Catholic fundamentalism. Uh, Catholics who are arguably well intentioned, who see the chaos, who see the lack of clarity, and they want to go back to or grasp onto some of the liturgical traditions of the Church. Uh, of course, only the Latin Mass, communion in the to- on the tongue only, and sort of going back to uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas and some of the the the, the the teachings of the church that were codified and given in some of the early church councils and you know different teachings in the earlier part of the 20th century sort of going back to that in order to establish order in this time of great chaos in the church unfortunately a lot of the times it can go to the extreme we can call these people the radical traditionalists nothing against people who like the old mass uh, we love these things that are part of our Catholic tradition and the teachings of the great doctors of the church like St. Thomas Aquinas. The problem is, though, is when we grasp on to those and sort of approach them in a fundamentalist attitude. I've seen a fair amount of this over the course of recent years to the point that even, I think, in some sections, I would be considered a liberal or a progressive. That is a word that I have never heard or never think to be used to describe me, uh, particularly when it comes to things theological or liberal. And so it gave me pause to think about what some of the, the roots of this issue are, some of the roots of this Catholic fundamentalism that seems to be growing in the church. Granted, I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist, but it seemed to me that it is a response to the disorder and the chaos we see not only in the church and the world, outside of ourselves, but also in ourselves. And so we have a lack of clarity, we have bishops arguing with bishops, we have so much violence and discord in the world that this is something we can grab onto that brings order, this clear black and white way of viewing the world or interiorly, we perceive injustice whenever we might find ourselves struggling to establish relationships with others, or just that interior lack of peace. We, we, we reach out and we have something that, that defines our world, that gives clarity and order. Again, I'm not saying that uh, everybody who does this falls in this category, but I think it's the general trend that we could see, which means that while the traditions of the church are not bad in and of themselves often we're going to have to examine our own conscience to go to our heart to see why is it that we are grasping on these things why is it that we may be tending towards a more fundamentalist catholicism and so i want to propose three areas three areas that we can look at where there's sort of a dichotomy uh, between two things one that appears to be is good and the other that has good elements but at the heart there's something disorder not exactly correct and and the first deals with what we are celebrating today the solemnity of Corpus christi the body of christ of course referring to the gift of the eucharist but as we saw in the second reading paul also connects it to the church that we are the body of christ the mystical body of christ and through baptism, we are all connected to Jesus, but also to each other, and we're called to live in communion with each other. There's a deeper mystical sense. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure, but there's something else, the gift of the Spirit that unites us. The problem is a lot of the times I see in the attitude of a more traditional Catholicism or this idea of the mystical body is somewhat lost, the church as a sacrament, and instead it tends to focus on the church as an institution, as almost a bureaucracy where we can analyze it. we analyze it like a big company or we analyze it like some other organization. And seeing the lack of leadership, the corruption, all of these different types of things the leaders that are not doing things appropriately, the institutional problems, which are there. We're not denying that at all. But saying, well, we need to change this or get rid of that. And it becomes a very harshly critical attitude that stops us from really seeing the beauty of the sacraments of the church and seeing the church as the body of Christ. And so we begin to focus on all the things that are going wrong, the ways that the church has been infiltrated with the from nefarious forces trying to destroy the church. Of course, the evil one hates the church, and there is and there has been a corruption in the church since day one. But if all we do is see the church as an institution, or we tend that way, we're not going to be able to understand that real change happens in the mystical body of Christ by a deeper conversion of heart, by a call to individual and communal conversion not necessarily structural changes or retooling of the institution or or ridding it of the problems that have gotten into the church. Uh, The second thing that we can can look at uh, is uh, our response to the liturgy, our response to the sacred, our response to the gift of the Eucharist that we are called to have reverence. Reverence is that attitude towards the sacred. So when we we encounter the numinous, we encounter the holy, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, uh, disposition is elicited. And so we kneel down, we bow our heads, we worship in our hearts. We're called to be reverent, particularly when we come into the church, which is a sacred place where we encounter the sacred. And what happens though is When we see that the the Eucharist is not respected, there's a lack of belief, there's chaos in the liturgy, there's confusion in the teaching of the homilies, while it may appear to be reverence, we can be tempted to react. Instead of reverence, it's a reactionary approach where we are kicking against or acting against what we perceive, rightly or wrongly, to be an abuse in the liturgy. So, we see things that are wrong, and so we're going to compensate by going in the other direction. But that's not what we as Christians do. That's not how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to see Jesus, see the Eucharist, and bow down in reference. We cannot define our faith or our worship in reaction to those things that are wrong. We define our faith in relationship to God, in relationship to the sacred not in reaction to the things that are abuses. And and often when we do that, we can also analyze our own hearts to say, hey, we may be trying to show others this is how it should be done instead of keeping our minds and hearts reverently fixed on Christ. Instead, we find that we're reacting against things we disagree with. And, and then finally, the, the third point, this, maybe it's one that's a little bit more difficult to understand, deals with the deeper meaning of mass. At uh, the end of the mass, we have that phrase, ite misa es, which means the mass is ended. The word for mass is misa, uh, ita misa es. And there's another word in English that is very, very similar to that word, and that, of course, is the word mission, which means to be sent. And so we can see that there's a connection there, that when mass is over, we are sent out, out of the church, out of the sacred space, into the profane space in order to evangelize, in order to be leaven in the culture, in order to bring the truth. Well, well mission and being sent always involves a sort of a loss of control, risk, danger. We're going out where people don't respect the faith. They don't have the same um, worldview or paradigm that we do. They don't understand things are the same thing we do. In fact, there's going to be a fair amount of opposition And so what happens is fear sets in, and instead of moving out in mission, we want to become rooted in our traditions. Now, I'm not talking about tradition with a big T. This is very, very important. We need to stand on the shoulders, as it were, and the the hearts and the minds of uh, the traditions and the fathers and mothers who've come before us. This is crucial. Talking about tradition itself that is not animated by the spirit which actually leads to and causes sort of a spiritual inertia where we want to stay behind the walls. We don't want to go outside because it's dangerous out there. And it really is rooted in fear. Another word for fear is insecurity. If we're secure, we feel safe. And so we feel safe here in the church. We feel safe with the traditions where things seem to be going well. We don't have to deal with the dangers. I'm not saying that we don't need to provide safety for our families and for our children. This is very, very important, not only physically, but also spiritually. But we have got to realize that if if we're not going out, if we're not progressing forward, then the faith can sort of stultify. One of the theologians that who a big influence of the 20th centuries and a big influence on me is Hans Urs von Balthasar. Now this of course is strange. Today in many sort of the fundamentalist Catholic circles, he's considered a a heretic or a liberal. Come on, he he was a systematic theologian but he also was able to do some exploration in theology. But John Paul II made him a cardinal before he died, even though he wasn't able to actually receive the hat because he died before that, he was named a cardinal, and Ratzinger preached his homily. How could this guy have been some radical liberal if both John Paul II and Ratzinger considered him friends and influences on their thought and spirituality? In well, 1955, he wrote this little book called Raising the Bastions, R-A-Z-I-N-G, tearing down the bastions, and and he looked at the the preceding, let's say, 50 years and the movement of the church for renewal. This is, of course, before Vatican II, and he's calling for the church to to tear down the walls, to go out and encounter the world and try to bring about a deeper conversion. And, And so there's many wonderful quotes, but there's one that I think we can connect to today's feast and to our first reading when we are talking about, or we hear about the manna in the desert. And this is the food that God gave to Israel when they were in the desert for 40 years. The one thing that the reading doesn't mention is that every morning the manna would come, these like little bread host type things, but you couldn't store it. You couldn't store the manna. You had to get it fresh every day. And so what Ratzinger does is he tries to take the truth of the Christian life and all its dimensions and sort of make a connection to manna. Sort of in the simile, he says... The truth of Christian life is like manna. It is not possible to hoard it, for it is fresh today and spoil tomorrow. A truth that is merely handed on without being thought anew from its very foundations has lost its vital power." Now He is not saying that we want to cast away the, the foundations, but to be able to understand them in a language and to explain them a world that is sort of out of touch with traditional Catholic theology. Um, and so that's the, the risk of Catholic fundamentalism while respecting the traditions and respecting the things like the music and the language and the theology and the liturgy that, that is important for our identity to realize that we have a mission and we need to be able to move forward. So in conclusion, just keeping these three points as ways for us to examine our consciences, I want to bring up a passage from the Old Testament that a friend of mine very wisely commented on and interpreted. It comes from the second book of Samuel, chapter 6, verses 12 to 23. And it's when the Ark of the Covenant is entering in Jerusalem, and there's King David, and he's he's dancing in wild abandon uh, to worshiping and praising the Lord. Well, there was a woman there. Her name was Michal, Michal, and the scripture says that she saw him and she despised him in her heart. Why? Because, it's later explained, that she thought that his his dancing was vulgar and it was inappropriate, very self-centered. And so David, of course, is justified, and, and that little passage, that little verse that I quoted, ends by saying that she was childless to her death. How can we take that and apply it to our own faith today? There are many different liturgical traditions and ways that we can worship. Some of them are clearly not Catholic. Some of them are clearly wrong. You know, clown liturgies or these different liturgies that are politicized or things that bring in pagan elements. But there is a diversity. It doesn't always have to be Latin chant. And so what happens is is we can look throughout the East and the West and these different liturgies and realize that while we may have a preference, we can't despise others in our heart. They don't receive communion in the same way. They don't appreciate St. Thomas Aquinas in the same way. They don't worship exactly in the same way. They're those who might in some degree have a preference for praise and worship. The issue is when we despise them in our heart, we look down upon them, when we're more focused on what others are doing than reverencing the Lord, than in worshiping him. And even more, that this type of attitude, which can seep into Catholic fundamentalism and a radical traditional outlook, Leaves us barren. It doesn't bear fruit. It sets ourselves in opposition to the world instead of a faith that gives life, that produces joy, that transforms hearts, and that brings others to Christ. That's what we need in the world today, and particularly a world that is opposed to the church and the faith that does not understand or cares to understand. Yes, we're going to need to open the space by living lives of holiness lives of joy rooted in the gift of the eucharist and the mass and adoration to draw others to christ in that way and so I'm not, I'm not trying to say that anybody here particularly at the parish falls into this it is a temptation for all of us i think we do a really good job of of, of, of running right in the middle virtue lies in the middle while respecting the tradition but also living out that communion in the body of Christ that is a profound witness to others. And so as we celebrate Carpus Christi today, let's pray for the continued renewal of the church and the courage and the strength that we need to be able to go out, strengthened by the gift of the sacrament in communion with one another in order to bring about the glory of God and great reference for that which is sacred.